BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Before we get to today's edition of the Five Reasons Podcast, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Greenlight Tech. Every sport needs a team. Same as in business. That's why more small to mid-sized businesses in South Florida are choosing Greenlight Tech, the full-service concierge IT company that gets it right. Greenlight Tech advises, monitors, supports, and keeps your important data backed up and secure. They'll even manage your vendors. Call Greenlight Tech at 561-325-9997. That's 561-325-9997. Mention this ad and get a free assessment. Sign up and get your first month free. Greenlight Tech, be unstoppable. Visit greenlighttek.com. And now, let's start the show. Welcome into episode 55 of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Whittingham. Thank you for finding us. We're on iTunes. Also, if you are an Android person, you can find us on Google Play, Stitcher, CastBox, and several other apps. Also, be sure to find the other podcasts in our network. We have Miami Heat Beat. They just released an episode on Monday. Also, Three Yards Per Carry. That's our Dolphins-specific podcast. Also, Balls Cast, a little bit more of a humorous look at Miami sports culture, politics, Everything along those lines. And then this week, the debut of Chris Whittingham's pet project, Pitch Invasion. That debuts on Wednesday with an interview with uh, the esteemed soccer writer, Grant Wall. A lot of great stuff that's coming up there as the World Cup begins. We have been bringing in guests on the podcast here regularly. Clay, we got to Will first, so we apologize for that. Uh, we brought we, we brought. <laughs> that's we brought right. I would have too, so uh, so that's just <laughs> fine by me. <laughs> we brought Will Manso on for an episode, uh, probably about six to eight weeks ago. We did an episode with Will. It was a multi-sport episode about where are Miami's sports stars. You can still find that in our library. It's funny. We all hyped Lewis Brinson. That hasn't worked out quite so well for the Marlins <laughs> oh, so far as, as the next guy. We'll see how that develops. But you are uh, you work at WPLG with Will Manso, and we wanted to bring you on to talk a little Dolphins because – We've done some episodes lately that have been surprisingly pro dolphins. Actually, uh, Simon Clancy, one of the hosts on our Three Yards Per Carry podcast, uh, he really liked what they did this off season. Uh, so did his co-host 
Chris Kaufman at three yards per carry. You do not like it quite as much. We're going to get to some of that here on the pod. We're going to divide this into five parts, and we're going to play over-under today to separate this from from some other ones that we've done. So we're going to start here with the quarterback. We always start with the quarterback. It's the most polarizing topic on this team. And the question for you is this. Ryan Tannehill, two years ago, 2016, played in 13 games. The Dolphins were 8-5. and five. During that period of time, and we can talk about quarterback rating being a flawed stat, and it is, uh, in part because it counts certain things twice, right? When, you, right? when you're talking about completion percentage and then yards per attempt, those things play into each other. And, of course, interceptions is kind of a wonky stat because a lot of interceptions are not the quarterback's fault. So it's, it's an imperfect stat, but it's the one we have. So two years ago, Ryan Tannehill was 12th in the NFL in quarterback rating at 93.5. Here are the other names that were ahead of him. Matt Ryan, who obviously was the MVP that year, Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Sam Bradford, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Andrew Luck, Marcus Mariota, and Ben Roethlisberger. So Tannehill was slightly ahead of guys like Matthew Stafford, Russell Wilson, Andy Dalton, Alex Smith, and of course, Colin Kaepernick. Would you say that this year, Ryan Tannehill will be better or worse than the 12th quarterback in the league? Quarterback rating, I would say, you know, I'm not going to go push, so I'll probably go slightly better. But guys, I I think the important thing about that list is look at who's on there and look at where they are and then who's immediately behind them. And this is part of the the issue that I have a lot with stats in general with football is a lot of the – the people who are speaking very loudly about how positive a lot of these moves that the Dolphins made are, a lot of it is using metrics and, and analytics and, and things that you don't necessarily know are going to translate. And, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But the questions I have about Tannehill are, number one, I, hey, we got to find out if he's going to be healthy. And if he's going to be able to go out there, and, and I'm not just talking about healthy enough to play football. I'm talking about, is he going to be healthy enough to trust that knee? Is he going to be healthy enough to run the ball? And and the threat of the run, it's not necessarily just the fact, all right, is he going to break off a 10, 15-yard run? But it changes how the defense approaches this team. And I think we saw that last year when Jay Cutler was out there. There was no fear of him running the football. But, you know, you look at that list that you talked about, Ethan, and are you really taking Tannehill today over Russell Wilson? Are you taking him over Matthew Stafford? And then the guys ahead of him on that list, as you mentioned, I mean, the reason why Sam Bradford, guys like that are ahead of him on the list are the same reason why I think Tannehill will be at or over that 12 mark, because I think Adam Gase does things with his offense that play into the quarterback rating, not intentionally, but I think you're going to see Ryan Tannehill throwing more of the short passes, getting that completion percentage up, being able to move things up a little bit. And I also think, guys, that this team is going to be a little bit better in the red zone, and we can talk about why a little bit later on. So I'll go over on that. I'll go over 12 as far as quarterback rating goes. Over meaning bad or over meaning good? Over being ga- good. Good. Sorry okay. about that. All right. So, uh, so the thing for me about Tannehill is I don't really view knee injuries to be that debilitating. And, and it's kind of odd because in a bygone era, you would have said coming off major knee surgery, coming off of 
having an injury and then making it worse that I would find it would be appreciably worse. But I don't necessarily think that you're going to see a massive drop-off in athleticism or really anything else from a physical point of view. And I don't view Ryan Tannehill be injury-riddled or brittle or something like that because before that, the man took hundreds of hits and kept on playing and was there every week and peed blood once. Like, this is a really tough football player, and that is his greatest tra- his greatest strength, in my opinion. So I don't think physically he's going to be hampered I just think it really all depends on the situation around him. And so if the offensive line is much better than it's been in year previous, then that number could go over. If they actually get to running this no-huddle offense Adam Gase has wanted to run for two years, then that number can go over. If they figure out a way who he's going to be throwing to in pressure situations when he's under pressure, because that was always Jarvis Landry, then I think that number can go over. So I actually don't think this has much to do with Ryan Tannehill. I think once you get past a certain level, which I think for me is like around nine, like around where Cam Newton is, then it really becomes about the external factors. And I think the Dolphins, I'd have to say, have done a decent job with drafting Kosicki, with signing a couple of receivers, with doing some work on the offensive line, signing Frank Gore. They've continued to strengthen around Ryan Tannehill. And I think that is the more important part than Ryan Tannehill himself. I'm going to go uh, over. And by that, again, I mean better than 12th um, this year. And, and part of it Clay hit on is that and we're going to touch more on this sort of the totality of the offense, but I think the way that they're going to use Tannehill this year is going to inflate the quarterback rating a little bit. And I think the big thing is, is going to be having Kosicki if he can figure out how to use a tight end, which he really has not consistently done over the course of his career. In fact, I thought Jay Cutler actually at times used the tight end a little bit better than Tannehill did, but I, I go to last year's quarterback ratings, right? So the quarterback rating that Tannehill posted the year before would have actually been about the same in terms of where it ranked this past season. It would have been 13th. Okay, so if he was to produce that again, it would be about in that 12 to 13 range. But I look at some of the guys who were elevated in quarterback rating last year. Alex Smith was first, and we know that's sort of the ultimate argument against quarterback rating, right? Because Alex Smith does all of those really efficient things, but then when you need Alex Smith to make big-time plays for you in the playoffs, it hasn't been something he's consistently been able to do. But I look at some of the other names who elevated ahead last year. So you have Alex Smith, who's going to be in a new situation. Drew Brees, who's still playing at a very high level. Tom Brady playing at a very high level. Carson Wentz, we don't know what his status is going to be coming back from that injury. So it would be Nick Foles in his place. Jared Goff, who was great in his second season. Stafford was higher. Keenum's going to be in a new situation. Rodgers, you always put up there, provided that he's healthy. Rivers, Wilson, and then Josh McCown and Cousins. And and we don't know if McCown's going to start. Cousins is in a new situation. I think there's enough guys who are, and we've talked about this a lot on the pod, who are going to be in new situations that it's going to take some time for them to kind of get a feel for it, that I think Tannehill being in a comfort zone with Gase Because even though he didn't play last year, he was in on a lot of those quarterbacks meetings. He was having conversations with Gase. Chris, you've talked about this because, again, you do the pregame stuff on the radio for the Dolphins of you witnessing conversations that Gase would have with Tannehill in the locker room, that there seems to be a real trust there. We saw in this offseason, and I know Clay wants to touch on this more, that they ultimately stayed with Tannehill when there were other directions that they could go. And so I I think that comfort level between Gase and Tannehill is going to allow him, provided he's healthy and I don't have a lot of concerns about the knee either you know he got it fixed as Chris mentioned he's an incredibly fast healer 
He's taken a lot of punishment. I think he can be top 10 this year. I really do. I think it, probably the bottom half of the top 10, but I think he can be top 10. Now, I know there's one point you wanted to make, Clay, and I wanted to get to it, which was that you don't buy the idea that they were comfortable with Tannehill all along, right? No, I don't. And, and real quick, I want to go back to what Chris said and what you just alluded to as far as Tannehill being tough. I don't know that that's necessarily always a good thing. Go back to the draft, and we're going to talk to the talk about the draft in a moment. But one of the big knocks on Josh Rosen was maybe he was a little too tough for his own good. There were times when he would sit in the pocket a little too long. And I think what we've seen with Tannehill over the years is there are times when he's got to get rid of the football. And this is something that's been a, a consistent problem with him, that there are times when his pocket awareness just is not very good. And yes, give him a ton of credit for being tough. But after a while, guys, those hits take their toll and they add up and he's going to be 30 years old. And I think that just assuming that after years of taking the punishment and then again, after missing 20 straight games, because of we can argue whether or not it's one or two knee injuries, but a debilitating knee injury, nonetheless, that he's just going to come back. And then all of a sudden he's going to be, is he going to be better when it comes to pocket presence? Is he going to be able to withstand those hits even more at an advanced age, hitting the age of 30, not the 30 is old, but Hey, I mean, we've all been there. I, well, Chris, maybe not you yet, but <laughs> we've all been there when we get up to, to, to that age and start, we, we haven't all taken those kinds of hits though. And it does start to, to take its toll a little bit, but I think the point that I really had with the draft, and I want to go back to the night when they drafted Minka Fitzpatrick. And by the way, I love Minka Fitzpatrick. I love the players that they got at the top of the draft. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more in the bit in, in a little bit. The night of the draft, after Chris Greer came down and was addressing the media, I think it was the final question that he was asked, one of the final two or three, was once the quarterback started falling, I think the implication there was we know that they may have liked Josh Rosen. I don't think Josh Allen was really on their radar. I think Rosen was likely the one. But when Chris Greer was asked, when the quarterback started falling, did you make calls to teams in the top 10 about moving up for one? And his response was, yes, we made a couple of calls, but it didn't get very far because they wanted too much and they knew what you were coming up for. In other words, they knew you were coming up for a quarterback. So they were going to charge you a lot. Well, I, I don't really know what's a lot. We don't know what teams were asking the Dolphins for. What we do know is that the Cardinals only had to pay a third and a fifth to move up five spots from 15 to 10 to get Josh Rosen. But the thing that really stood out to me, you're not calling teams in the top 10 about a quarterback if, number one, you are comfortable in your current quarterback situation. In other words, Ryan Tannehill, whether it's health, whether it's ability, whatever it might be. And number two, there is a quarterback there that they were convicted enough that they were making calls about. And guys, I'm not going to be one of these guys that's going to sit here and act like I've watched as much film as these guys have. They've forgotten loads and loads more football than I or any of us will ever know. I, I think it's really it's silly when people say, I know more, I know better than these guys. I'm never going to do that. But when you're telling me by that action that there was a quarterback that you had watched enough, that you had studied enough, that you liked enough to make calls about moving into the top 10 about, and when you're making those calls, it's telling me that you're not confident enough in your guy and you're confident enough in one of those other guys and he didn't make the move. And to me, it kind of goes back to 
what we've seen with the Dolphins for years and years and years is you're not going to find that guy if you're not willing to make the big move. And I understand they took Tannehill a few years ago, but I think you have to look at this objectively and say, can we get to where we need to go with the current quarterback situation? And if you're not convicted enough that you're making calls into the top 10 to move up, I think the answer is no. And at that point, you kind of got to hit the reset button. So the joke that I made on, on the pod, and I'll make it again here, was I really like all the players the Dolphins drafted. I think it's going to be just perfect to get them back to 8-8 eight and eight over time. <laughs> and, and I think that's kind of where they're at, guys. And, and I think I see now, again, coming from elsewhere, coming from out of town and seeing what Dolphins fans have had to deal with for years and years and years is this, I think Armando Salguero called it the treadmill of mediocrity. Well, I'm going to call it the vicious cycle of 8-8. Eight and eight. Congratulations on naming the episode, by the way. That's that's definitely what it's called. The vicious <laughs> cycle go. of eight and eight. There's, I mean, we can't go with anything else. <laughs> All right, let's get to part two here, and let's branch out a little bit from Tannehill. Obviously, he's a part of this, but I'm going to give you some numbers, Clay, and then we're going to set an over-under number and see if you go over or under on this one. Here's where the Dolphins have ranked in yardage. Not points, because obviously other things go into that. You can score points on defense, too. But here's where they've ranked in offensive yards over the past few years. This is out of 32 teams. 25, 24, 26, 14, 27, 27, 22, 21, 17, 12. That was Chad Pennington's year, the year that they won the division. 28, 20, 14, 29, 24, and then 15, 21, 26, and 20. That goes all the way back to 1999. There's no top 10 finishes in there. There's not even a top 12 finish in there. And yet that's where I'm going to set the over-under here, Clay. Can this offense, and they've made a few changes, right? No Jarvis Landry, so you take out a ton of targets there. Enter Danny Amendola to work some out of the slot. They'll use Kenny Stills out of the slot as well. Enter Albert Wilson as another receiving option. Devontae Parker hopefully coming back completely healthy this time. They add Gasicki at tight end, replacing Julius Thomas. They make a couple of changes on the offensive line. Pouncey is out. Sitton and Kilgore are in. Take a look at that in totality. Would you go better or worse than 12th in the league in yardage? Hmm. I'd probably go slightly worse. And again, I think that this is going to be one of those ones where it's lies, darn lies, and statistics. I think they're going to rack up some some meaningless yards because I think they're, they're going to be trailing a lot in games because I think the defense is not going to be very good. And I, I think that they're going to be throwing the ball around a bit, which is what's also going to elevate Ryan Tannehill's quarterback rating. And I think that the yards are not necessarily going to be a problem because I think they're going to come at times when they're already behind and they're not going to be run, able to run the ball. This team a little bit reminds me, and full disclosure here, I was born in Louisiana before moving to Virginia. So the two teams that I follow really, really closely are the Dolphins, because I cover them, and the New Orleans Saints. So I followed the Saints for years, and we've been fortunate enough to have a quarterback in Drew Brees who is always going to perform at a high level. But I remember a few years ago, they got a little bit stuck in passing the ball a bit too much. And they didn't they didn't have a really good running game and they had an awful defense. They still finished seven and nine. Now, a lot of that was because of Drew Brees. Ryan Tannehill is not Drew Brees. Nobody's arguing that he is. But that team found a way to put up yardage because they were moving the ball so much when they were behind late in games. I could see a similar situation where that Saints team finished number one in yardage. This team could finish top 11, top 12, 
But I, I think more likely they're going to be slightly below that number. But I think they're going to be picking up some yardage and garbage time, so to speak. Oh, man, I don't, I don't want to say this because I think it, it can come off as revisionist history because Jay heading into last year, you thought you were you were really solid at running back. But I would say they're better this year in most offensive positions than they were last year. So obviously they were dreadful last year, so that's not really much of an improvement. But obviously a quarterback. Tight end, we don't know much about the rookies, but early sort of signs are that you feel better about these guys than you did about Julius Thomas. Certainly along the offensive line, I would say sitting in Kilgore for Pouncey and Ted Larson is an upgrade, and hopefully you see improvement from James and from Tunsil. At wide receiver, uh, man, I think just having cover for Devontae Parker being bad rather than having rather than having to rely on Devontae Parker is an upgrade. I'm not going to say that you upgraded it in, in like-for-like replacements on Jarvis Landry, although you can make the argument that in the aggregate you'll be better. But yeah, I would say in most areas on offense, they've improved from a talent point of view. And if Ryan Tannehill quarterbacked the team last year, I would say they would have maybe they wouldn't have been in the 20s. It would have been in the, in the high teens. So I would say maybe they can get to a round where you've set the over-under, which is 12 or 13, just based off of aggregate talent. But what you need to see, though, is... Adam Gase really having a, a major impact on this offense. And I don't think we've seen that. Even in the year that they did get to the playoffs, it wasn't because they were that great offensively. It's because they played a lot of close games. They won a lot of those close games, but they played a lot of close games. And I feel like I want to see what, frankly, we haven't seen when you list all those numbers, Ethan. It was just so depressing to hear the, the amount of times they're in the teens and they're in the 20s because they're just not exciting. They don't have any firepower from an offensive point of view. And I think they have the potential to do that. But because I haven't seen it be put together in 20 years, I think I'm going to go under. Yeah, I'm going to go under also. And just, again, to sort of give you a sense of how long it's been since they've had an offense better than top 12 in yardage, O.J. McDuffie, who's joining our network to host the Fish Tank Dolphins Tales from the Deep pod, was their leading receiver the last time that it happened. It was 1997 uh, wow. with, Mar with Marino at quarterback and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the other Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the former Sharman Shah, in their backfield. So it's been so long that even though I agree with Chris that their offense, I think, will be better. I think one of the reasons it'll be better, as much as I admire Jarvis Landry as a player, is they were just too dependent on Jarvis Landry. This is going to force Adam Gase to go to more multiple formations. I think he has the personnel to do it and to use a different kind of game plan than just running 12 bubble screens uh, because that's basically what the offense had become. And if Tannehill can figure out how to use a tight end, he has a guy who is more athletic than any. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime 
for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Anybody he's had at that position so far, even more so than Charles Clay, who he was able to utilize a little bit when he was with Miami in Gasicki. So I think that helps. And I, I like their backfield. Frank Gore is not going to break a lot of runs at this stage, but he's a professional runner who's going to get you three to four yards just about every time if there's any room there. And as Chris has mentioned many times on the on the pod, Kenyon Drake was a top 10 running back at the end of the season. Like the, the games that he played in, after he took over from Ajayi, he showed a lot. So I think they have some options in the backfield. I think they'll be better offensively. But I think expecting them to go from, say, 25th in the league to 11th, when this franchise has never done that, or has not done that in more than 20 years, I think is, is a lot to ask for. We'll carry on with the show in just a moment. But first, a word from another of the podcasts and the Five Regions Sports Network. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Giancarlo Navas, and in this week's episode, we welcome Manny Navarro of the Miami Herald. It's the first time he's been on with us in the five years that we've been doing this, and Manny Navarro had some interesting things to say about Dion Waiters. The last time I saw Dion, I want to say it was like early March. He was hanging out in the locker room, and he looked like he put on a few pounds. <laughs> so I know you guys are all excited about that. <laughs> Great. Uh, it looked like he hadn't been running a whole lot, which, you know, I guess you could understand that considering he had ankle surgery, Coming but it did look injury. like he been enjoying, like, nachos or something. <laughs> Catch all that and more on the Heat Beat Podcast, now on the Five Reasons Podcast Network, and look out for a new episode every Monday until the NBA playoffs are over. You can check us out on Twitter, at MIA Heat Beat, for all the latest updates and info. This week on the first ever edition of the Pitch Invasion podcast, we talk to the SI soccer writer, Grant Wall. Beckham has been so publicly involved with it that I don't think either side wants it to fail and not happen. But they see the demographics of Miami and how they've changed in the last 10 to 15 years and how it's even more of a a South American community than ever. That theoretically should translate into success for a soccer team. It's been a chore for a long time, but at this point, I certainly think it's going to happen, but it's never as easy as you think it's going to be. Subscribe to the Pitch Invasion Soccer Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's move to the defense now. You know, the defense over the years for the Dolphins has posted some better numbers. Um, I'll just give you some of these here over the past, say, 15 years. This is in yardage ranking. 16, 29, 25, 12, 21, 21, 15, 6. That was back in 2010. 22, 15, 23, 4, 18, 8, 10. And then you go back 
to the years where they had Jason Taylor and Zach Thomas and Pat Sertan and Sam Madison, and they were three, five, six, five, and three. I mean, those, if they had any kind of an offense during those days, that team might have gotten to at least an AFC championship game and probably a Super Bowl. You take a look at what they've done here on defense. No one Dobb can sue. They obviously make some changes at the linebacker position. Lawrence Timmons didn't really work out. They add Minka Fitzpatrick in the draft. They add Robert Quinn on the outside, a defensive end in the trade. They bring back William Hayes to play inside and outside. And also, I think something that's been overlooked a little bit, they get Raquan McMillan back after he missed his entire rookie season, and they had really high hopes for him. Top 12 defense, Clay. Better or worse? Way worse. I don't quite understand what the mindset was in building this defense. Now, I, I do really like, and we'll talk a little bit more about which players we like individually, but I like the safeties. But say, guys, you look at the defense all around, they've invested $36.5 million in defensive ends alone. $36.5 million of the salary cap in one position. And is there one player among those guys that you would say is going to be a pro bowler, much less an all pro? And I don't know, I don't know where the difference makers are on this defense. I think Micah Fitzpatrick's going to be good in time. I think Rashad Jones is the one guy that has proven on this entire team that he can be a pro bowler. But I don't see anything out of those $36.5 million on defensive ends alone that's telling me that you're going to have even a pro bowler on that list. I love what Cam Wake has done for this team over the years. But I think he's at the point in his career when you can certainly expect a bit of a downturn. And he's still been a very good pass rusher. But rush defense does go a little bit downhill when he's out there. And I think the the defensive tackle situation, you get rid of a player who was a top three to five player at the position, if not better, the one player on the entire defense that consistently commanded attention, double teams, triple teams at times. And Dominican Sue was still a very, very good player. And all you have to do is look at the teams that went after him in free agency at the New Orleans Saints, who felt like they were starting to turn a corner and they were one player away. The L.A. Rams, who Wade Phillips, Wade Phillips had Aaron Donald, he runs a 3-4. He didn't care. He said, this is a great, a fantastic football player. We need to find a way to add him to our team. So you've lost the most impactful player on what was already a bad defense. Linebacker situation, I think Raekwon McMillan is going to step in, and I do think he's going to be good. But it's a what if. It's a how does he come back from the injury? How quickly does he pick things up in what's going to be his rookie year? And I like some of the moves that they've, they've made, especially with trying to get a little bit faster in the linebacking core. But overall, it's not enough. And it's not enough to make up for what they lost. And it's not enough to make up for what was already a bad defense. And I, I think Xavier Howard, he showed some flashes at the end of last year. There were times where he looked great. But you still look at his year on a whole, it was really, really bad. So hopefully he is the player that he showed at the end of last year. But I think what we, we keep saying about the guys on defense and a lot of the guys on the offense, frankly, is if, 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 but, 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 if, if, if. And I think that really adds up to a, uh, to a, lot, of, a lot of question marks and on that defense in particular. I just don't see how they get better than what they had last year. Yeah, that and maybe a, a schematic thing is going to have to happen too because really the, the big concern that happened last year is you just saw how slow 
the Dolphins were. And they never looked like creating turnovers. They never looked like creating tackles for loss. They never looked like creating any kind of big plays. It really just seemed like possession to possession, they were trying to survive. So you look at it, kind of the acquisitions, right? So on the line, they had Robert Quinn. I do think that Andre Branch contract is just such a killer when you mention the, the, the big figure that they're spending at defensive end. You bring back William Hayes. I think they're going to have to have looks where they play three and sometimes even four defensive ends in order to justify all the money that they're committing to that. At linebacker, they get McMillan back, but is that enough uh, along with Jerome Baker to, to really make a difference? I'm not sure. Xavier Howard had two really good games where he had two interceptions, but I don't know if he really, on a play-in, play-out basis, is the guy that you trust. I like Fitzpatrick at the back along with Rashad Jones, but like you said, Clay, I just don't think there's enough there to really make a substantive difference. And you've rattled off the numbers. I mean, the Dolphins, even in the period of mediocrity that we long talk about of 20 years, they've had some really good defenses, but they haven't had one for a few years. And so I think it'll be probably in the 20s in terms of yardage allowed and in terms of the major statistical categories. I don't see where they make a significant turnaround year over year. I think we're going to see progress this year in a lot of areas, but I think it's going to be uneven. I, because, again, you're, you're talking about, I mean, McMillan is a rookie, right? Because, I mean, he didn't play last season. Minka Fitzpatrick, obviously a rookie. Baker is going to get a lot of snaps, too. So you're talking about three core guys on your defense who are going to be playing for the first time. Now, there have been Dolphin teams that have had some success with that. You've got to go back to, again, the Jimmy Johnson days where Zach Thomas beat out Jack Del Rio in camp, right, and was the starting middle linebacker from the very beginning. And Jason Taylor got a starting job in 1997 and Pat Sertan, you know, in 1998 and Sam Madison, you know, after beat out Terrell Buckley in 1997. So it has happened where you've had multiple rookies or second year players play on an effective defense. And those were very effective defenses. But I think it's going to take some time. You know, the 10 and 6, and I think that plays into a lot of this, which we're going to cover in these last two parts here. But uh, the 10 and 6 was a bit of a mirage, right? Because if you look deeper into their numbers, Their numbers were not very good that year. They were 17th in points for, 18th in points allowed. They had a a minus 17 point differential, and yet they were 10 and 6 because they won a lot of tight games, some of them against bad teams. They had a couple of signature wins in there, the Pittsburgh game, but not a ton of those. And so I think we got a little bit too excited about what they did two years ago. I think we're getting a little too negative about what happened last season, but we'll touch on that next. But I think all three of us are in agreement they will not have a top 12 defense this year. So let's get to part four and answer this question, Clay. How many top 12 players do they have at a particular position? And I'm going to set the over under here at one and a half. Now, that's not enough because you need to have a lot of blue chip players to be able to have a successful team. You need to have at least five or six or seven guys who are blue chip players to be able to contend for a Super Bowl. I'm going to set it at one and a half. Am I setting it too low or too high? No, I'm going under. And I'm taking Rashad Jones, and that's it. And and part of the reason, I, I was thinking about this the other night when we were talking about what to discuss on the podcast. And as I mentioned, I do follow the Saints pretty closely as kind of the, the team that your heart has and the team that your head has, right? Well, when I was thinking about the Saints in this past year's team, who are the players that you would consider maybe top 12, but the guys that you think are going to be good that you know, not think that, you know, are going to be good as long as they're not injured. And we're going to remove injuries from the equation for, for the sake of discussion. But the players on that team that I know are going to be good, Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Ryan Ramchick, Teron Armstead, the two tackles, Marshawn Lattimore and Cameron Jordan. 
So that's seven right there. It's that Jeff Ireland management style that really it, has them booming. Uh, I tell you what, man, I, this is that's part <laughs> of the discussion that I, I've gotten into so many debates with people on social media about that that are so anti Ireland. I'm like, look, he doesn't have the same role with the Saints. He is he is the head of scouting. His drafting has been really good. It's it's the running the entire organization that was clearly a problem down here. But those are eight players that I picked out. I know Rashad Jones, barring injury, is going to be good. Everywhere else for me on this team, guys, is a question mark. I think Nick Fitzpatrick is going to be good. I'm with Ethan. I think Mike Gesicki is going to be a really good pro. I think he's exactly what you're looking for in, in today's NFL. I don't care that he supposedly can't block. There are a lot of guys out there that play tight end that can't block. Can he catch the football? He can catch the football really well. So I think there are some guys who will be good in time. I know Rashad Jones is going to be good. I don't know that anybody else on this team is going to be top 12 in 2018. I think I agree. I think I think Rashad Jones is definitely that guy. I would say it's safety. Maybe if Robert Quinn has a renaissance year playing in a new scheme, that he can be there, which is funny because we, we just talked about the defense not having enough talent. Xavier Howard have to be like literally that New England game every week in order for him to, to, to reach that point. From an offensive point of view, Man, maybe Laramie Tunsil makes a leap in another year. Uh, man, <laughs> I don't think they have anybody. I mean, I, we did say that Ryan Tannehill could be in that conversation, but I don't. I don't think he is. So I'm going to agree with Clay. I'm going to say that the Dolphins don't have any spectacular talents. And while if you did say that there is a need for blue chip players, I do think that the one area that the Dolphins got better at this year is I think they're going to play less calamities, snap in, snap out, than they have in the last few years. There have been just guys, and I really do think football can be considered a weakling sport. I've heard this talked about as it relates to soccer, where you basically there was a book called Soccernomics that sort of basically analyzed that very often games come down to who is your worst player on the field? And do, when you pass him the ball, is he going to do something good with it? And I feel like the Dolphins the last few years have been that kind of team. It's about who's their worst player on the field because when Bill Belichick lines up against you, he's going to find the worst player on the field. And I feel like the Dolphins got better at the worst player on the field position. I don't think that they're really going to have as many true and utter disasters but on the opposite end, to answer the question, they won't also have top-end talents either. I'm going to go over, guys, and I'm going to do that with a caveat. I don't know who the second and third guys are going to be, <laughs> but I think but, but I, but I, think there are enough options. I, I'm going to agree with you on Rashad Jones. If he's healthy, he's a top-12 safety in the league at his, at his particular position. Um, so we're going to put him there. I don't think you can put Cam Wake there at this stage. I think he was, but I don't think you can put him there at this stage. But I think from this collection of guys... I think there will be one or two. I think you look, I, I wouldn't say any of the receivers because I've given up on Devonte Parker becoming that I thought he could be, but I don't think he's going to be now. So I would look at this collection of guys. I think Gesicki as a rookie has a chance to be a top 12 tight end as a pass catcher. I really do. The way that they're going to use him, his athletic skill set. I think there's a real chance for him there. I think there's a chance for Kenyon Drake. We see the running backs turnover every 
year. That's one of the funny things about fantasy football is everybody goes out and drafts the same running backs that were great the year before, and that list always changes. And I think what we saw from Kenyon Drake at the end of last year gives me, and and also with a guy like Frank Gore is one of the most solid pros you can find tutoring him, I think there's a chance for him. I think there's a chance for Laramie Tunsil in his second full year at that position. Might not happen this year, but I think it's ultimately going to happen. I think it's going to happen eventually for Minka Fitzpatrick. Does it happen this year? Maybe not, but I think there's a chance, and I think there's a chance for McMillan also, and I would give an outside chance to Robert Quinn. I I don't think so based on what we've seen the past couple of years, but there's a shot. So I think from that group, I think there will be at least one, maybe not three or four, but I think there will be at least one to add to Rashad Jones that I will go over on this one. And that gets to the last part of the pod. Going to go a little quicker with this because we've covered a lot of stuff. The over-under in Vegas right now at most of the sports books is six. It was five and a half at some of the ones I checked a couple weeks ago. Seems to be inching closer to six at some of the sports books. Now, last year, they had the Dolphins at 7.5 as the over-under on the futures in Vegas. And, and I may or may not have lit fire to $100 betting the over on that. I think a lot of <laughs> but, but, Chris, I think a lot of people did, right? Yeah. Because they were coming off a 10-win season. But, again, you looked at the point differential and – 7.5 was and, about and, what And by the way, I got myself excited when they got to 6 and 8 before the Buffalo and the well no, it was the two Buffalo games and the Chiefs game. They were sitting at what 6 and 7 at that point. Like I mm-hmm. thought like, well, maybe there's a chance. I, I I was the only one who was rooting for them to go 8 and 8 at, at that point. And you're always rooting for them to go 2 and 14, not because right. you don't like them, but because right. you want them to finally reset yeah. and uh, and get a high draft pick. So, it's at 6 right now. I'm going to start this time. I'm going over. Now, not by a lot. Again, I think this is probably a seven and nine team. I think it could be eight and eight. I'm looking at the schedule, Clay, and I I don't like playing the schedule game so much because we don't know who's going to be good and who's not going to be good from the very start. But there's nothing in terms of a road trip or anything on this schedule that seems all that daunting to me. Um, They don't play a ton of night games, obviously, because they've only got one on the schedule right now, a Thursday night game at Houston, but then they get some time off before they play. uh, They play the Jets at home after that. They do have a one o'clock game at home in September against Tennessee and another one against Oakland. Those tend to be advantageous for the Dolphins to play those one o'clock games at home, even though Steve Ross hated them before they fixed the stadium. They play New England on the road early in the season as opposed to late which is better from a weather perspective. And also Belichick's teams tend to get better as the year goes on because he puts in more and more stuff. They finish the season in Buffalo. That's not ideal. And they have a game in Minnesota December 16th. But again, that one could be covered. So taking a look at all of that, Clay, I'm going slightly over. Where do you go? Well, I'm with you on seven and nine. Seven and nine is what I'm picking them now. Seven and nine is what I'm going to pick them when we get closer to the season, barring uh, any sort of injury. But again, that's presuming health. That's presuming that some of this clicks, some of this works. And and I think the ceiling for this team is probably a, like eight wins. And I think that's that's kind of the difference that where I see this team versus what I think a lot of some of the more optimistic Dolphins fans and analysts that have come on have, have seen this team is I think there's a huge talent disparity right here between the Dolphins and, and a lot of the better teams in the NFL. I think that Adam Gase is a really good offensive mind. I think he's a good coach, and I think he's going to find a way to win some of those closer games like they did a couple of years ago. But I think a couple of years ago, like you said, that was a mirage. And I think ultimately 
that may not necessarily be a good thing if you're trying to build a championship contending team because it's going to mask a lot of deficiencies. So I'm going slightly over, but that's presuming health. And I ain't going to burn a $100 bill. I ain't going to burn a dollar on that. But uh, <laughs> that's what I'm saying as far as if they're healthy, they're going to get seven and nine, ceiling eight and eight. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if it's six or fewer. It's a good thing I'm not going to Vegas this summer for my brother's bachelor party again because I think I might burn $100. So I think I'm going to say, oh, man, because I'm a believer in a lot of these sort of computer simulations and ESPN ranked the Dolphins 32nd in their power rankings and uh, the the Action Network predicted the Dolphins for 3.8 wins in their 10,000 simulations of the season. So the national consensus seems to be that this is a bad with a capital B football team. I am going to go hard overhead here and say that I have I thought that last year they were a six win team with the worst quarterbacking situation in the league or at least somewhere close. And so just in the improvement at quarterback, and for me not a ton of drop off anywhere else, even with Sue going, even with Landry going, I don't think the the rest of the roster has really taken that much of a hit. I'll say they'll win seven this year instead of six a year ago. So we all have them in the same place. And that's the biggest thing for me, Chris. Uh, again, six and ten with Jay Cutler. I mean I And more and fails. Like the the whole I, thing was awful. It was awful. And and Cutler was a disaster. And we kind of expected that. And that was a decision looking back that $10 million that they just shouldn't have made. So, Clay, look, you thought you were going to be the most pessimistic and we're all <laughs> going over on the six wins. So that means they'll go four and 12. Clay, we appreciate <laughs> we, we, we appreciate you joining us again. Catch him on Local 10 WPLGs there with Will Manso. Also, uh, Dookie Lang is a friend of the program, too. They do great stuff. Um, check out the Miami Sports Pod. You can find that on iTunes and all the other places that you find us. They do some creative stuff. Clay, great to have you on with us today. Hey, boys, love what you guys are doing. There's a real place in the market for this, and, and I love how you guys are uh, are shaking it up by doing a bunch of different segments. So uh, all the success in the world, and uh, talk to you guys soon. All right. Thank you, Clay. And again, check out our library. Got a couple of great episodes that are in there from the past week. If you want to hear about the history of 790 and Levitard show, uh, that Stu Gatz episode is a is a must listen. Also, we talked to Ken Levicka, Evan Cohen recently from up in uh, ESPN West Palm. And we did an NBA episode with Sekou Smith, uh, which you can find about the Western Conference Finals. Talk to you soon. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.